Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Brian Fisher to the Philosophy Podcast. Brian is the head coach at Monmouth University, and uh, Fish, really fired up to have you on the show. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to spending some time talking shop, and uh, yeah, we're doing well. We're in the, getting going with our fall season here and, and loving life right now. Got to be so good to get back at it. Yeah, it, it feels great. I mean, with this, the last two seasons, you know, the spring of the COVID uh, semester is just shutting down everything in, in mid-season. And then last year getting to play, but not really having a true fall season in the sense, uh, it feels like we're, we're much closer to being back to normal this, uh, this fall and, and for this upcoming year. Still have a bunch of COVID measures in place and things to, you know, the guys have to be um, a little conscious of as we go through this semester and, and still are, are living with and fighting COVID. But yeah, great to be back, uh, back into the swing of things, seeing the guys together back in the locker room, things we couldn't do uh, last year has been, been really good and really positive so far. Awesome. All right. As I usually do, I'd like to kick off this podcast um, with a topic of your lacrosse journey as a uh, player and a coach. Um, if you could give us a little bit of a recap on that, it would be awesome. And then we can dive into some, some good stories and, and mentors and things that you learn along the way. Yeah. I mean, you, you just mentioned the word mentor and um, we have a, a fifth year senior on our team and Cade Stratton, who's from my high school alma mater in Ridley and, and doing some leadership conversations with him these past few weeks, you know, he brought up some of my mentors and some of those first coaches I had back when I was just getting started on the cross, but I was fortunate to play for some, some really good coaches in high school and uh, got me started with the cross. Um, you know, the Kevin and Doug Ellers when I was in high school and then just really fortunate and blessed to be able to offer to, was offered a job immediately upon graduating my um, four year playing career at Rutgers uh, and started with Jim Stagnita. That's kind of how my, my coaching career got kicked off. Um, thought that I was going to go through my 
college years and, and follow my parents' footsteps and be an educator and, and teach and coach at the high school level. But um, was able to coach at my alma mater immediately upon graduation and had such a great experience with, with Jim Stagnita and working at Rutgers, but coaching guys that I was on the team with just the year prior. So um, a lot of those friendships from guys that I was teammates with, um, you know, coaching them was just a whole new, another level of, of getting to know them and, and develop friendships for life right now with some of those guys. But uh, had a great run at Rutgers, took a, a program that was um, struggling a little bit when I was there. And I saw three coaches um, throughout two and a half years in, in my senior through senior year of college through my first uh, two years in coaching. So wow. certainly was there and, and part of that transition, um, had, had some success with Jim Stagnita and back-to-back NCAA tournament experiences. Um, and then from Rutgers went uh, to Notre Dame and spent uh, seven years out there with Kevin Corrigan, Jerry Byrne, um, Kevin Anderson, and just had a wonderful experience there. And didn't know where I would end up next, but uh, when Mammoth came calling, uh, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass off. I pass up on it. I said it had to be something really good on the other end to pull me from you know the Midwest lifestyle and and the job opportunity that I had out there, um, just with working with really good people and and you know playing and coaching in the NCAA tournament year in year out was a lot of fun and just wonderful people at Notre Dame. But uh, I got that same kind of sense of uh, strong sense of pride in the community here at Monmouth um, and in building a program here at Monmouth, that challenge was exciting and fun for me and bringing a lot of those values and things that we did at Notre Dame to a new program has been fun as, uh, as we built a staff here with Andrew Geese and Bill McCutcheon as, as my first staff and starting from the ground up kind of instilling our values from day one has been a, a great experience. So we had some, some adversity and took our lumps in those early years, but it was certainly rewarding on the, on the back end. So uh, I was fortunate. I only had a couple stops during my coaching career. I know a lot of guys make a, a lot of different moves before they they end up at their place where they feel comfortable at and could see themselves finishing a career. But uh, I've been fortunate and uh, I'm really happy and enjoying my time at Monmouth. We've got great people, great administrators, uh, a president who really cares about athletics and, and enhancing the student and the student athlete experience. And I work with a good group of guys and a great staff every day. So like I said a little earlier, loving life right now. That's amazing. Um, before we move on to uh, full-time conversations about Monmouth and what you're doing, tell me a little bit about what you learned from working at Notre Dame for Kevin and working with Jerry and Ka and those guys. I mean, uh, pros, pros for sure. Um, what did you What do you sort of take from that and bring to, you know, your experiences at Monmouth? You know, just being with those guys every day, the combined coaching experience from um, you know Kevin, Jerry, Kevin Anderson. Um, just every day it was learning something new, um, but they're always um, organized, well-prepared um, player development and team chemistry, as well as leadership were things that, um, and how to build those things were things that I certainly took from my time um, at Notre Dame. So, um, you know, a lot of those, those values and things that um, we preached out there, and that was just part of the Notre Dame experience we were able to bring with us at Monmouth and instill from our culture and our team values from day one as well. Yeah. Awesome. And what about, um, what about from Stags? Um, that was uh, a pretty cool run to, for him to be able to go from WNL to Rutgers and to get right into the NCAA tournament a couple of times and really kind of resurrect that program. What did you learn um, on that, on that time? Yeah. I mean, my, my first year coaching and, and his first year, you know, we took our lumps, but we're setting the foundation for the future and uh, having that patience and poise and kind of commitment to the process uh, while also, you know, giving the guys and instilling some confidence that we were on the right path um, took the better part of a year and a half before we had some success 
in that second season. Um, and it was challenging at times uh, in that first year. But, uh, you know, that and the, the level of preparation, that was one thing I, I took with me from my time with Jim Stagney, just um, the level of preparation for um, the opponent from week to week and how we prepared and built scouting reports um, was something that to this day is, is now part of Mama's program. Awesome. Well, I got a chance to spend some time in, uh, in your neck of the woods over uh, Labor Day weekend. And I have to say that the, uh, the area that you guys are in, that whole, that whole uh, Rumps and Fairhaven and the beat, the Monmouth Beach area. Oh my gosh. I have to say, if I could do it all over again, I, I might choose to live there. <laughs> that might be one of the coolest places I've ever been. Yeah, it's it's such a great coastal community, especially that northern part, uh, north of Monmouth on the ocean that you just referenced the Rumpson. And I live in Seabright, which is on the water, but just right across the, the river from Rumpson. You've got back bays, you've got two rivers there, you've got the ocean on one side. Uh, it truly is a coastal community um, and, it, and it's awesome. And then, you know, right through down through Ocean Avenue down to Monmouth, you know, in, in West Long Branch, we've got, you know, the boardwalk and Pier Village and we're only about three quarters of a mile from the beach. With the university having some housing on the beach and our guys living in the, the campus community within you know a half a mile of Monmouth, but a half mile from the beach, it just uh, offers just great opportunities to be a student, a student athlete, uh, and be a young man uh, in this coastal community. There's just so much to do and, and so much fun to be had. It is so cool. The coastal community, the fishing and the surfing yeah. and the, you know, on the rivers and the boating. I mean, it's just, uh, it's kind of endless and there's pretty darn good lacrosse down there too. Yeah, that's that's been the fun part, you know, as we've built the program here at Monmouth and gotten to know these programs in our community, I want to say probably 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, only about half the shore conference teams had lacrosse. And now now there's a number of them popping up from one year to the next. Um, there's some good lacrosse. There's some certainly great community. It's a, it's a residential coastal community. It's not like um, the seaside or some of the southern beaches or Ocean City, Maryland. It, it's not like a small slab of land with houses, you know, right next to each other. It, it's more spread out, more residential, um, yeah. and people here live more year round. So it, it definitely is an inviting and, and nice community too. I, for myself and, and for my assistant, Andrew Giesing, you know, raise young families, um, as well as just a great place to be for a, a college student. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the culture you're trying to build at um, Monmouth and, and how you, you know, sort of introduced it and how you kind of, how it evolves. Yeah, I think it certainly evolved with our first class. Um, you know, we recruited 30 freshmen to jumpstart our program in 13 months. Um, when Andrew Geeson came on board uh, in August of that first summer when I was hired, um, you know, we had 13 months to, to build a team. And there were certainly days where we're sitting in the office going, are we going to be able to recruit 50 guys and, and start this thing? And there was some anxiety and stress around that. And by Christmas of that year, you know, only, you know, three, four months later, we were going, man, we could fill our roster five times over if we wanted to with just the amount of kids and interest and, and just volume of good players that were still out there um, as seniors looking for a home. So um, we took our time, um, didn't fill our class until uh, the summer prior to um, beginning in, in 2013. And uh, some of the best players we got from that first class were, were seniors that we didn't see play until the spring of their senior season. These guys were we know to be all conference players for us in the year number four, um, you know, helped us win 14 games and, and play in the NCAA tournament. So um, that class, you know, had to grow up during their time with us. Uh, we took our lumps in years one and two. Um, a credit to those guys. They always played really hard, but they developed a, a mental toughness as well as a physical toughness that kind of has just stuck with our program um, since their, their, you know, years two through four. 
um, they were tired of losing close games. Even our first year when we didn't win a, win a game, we had so many games, I think four or five, where we were within two goals. One game went to four overtimes before we finally lost. So, um, you know, they were, they were frustrated and, and just angry and pissed off with all those near misses that um, they helped instill a toughness with us that uh, when we did our core value exercises um, in years four and five with those guys kind of leaving and, and going out the door, uh, it was really easy that one of our core values was grit and toughness because those guys instilled it just through their their own experience. So how do you now um, get what are your core values and how do you continue to instill them? Um, what are the, some of the exercises and rituals or things that you guys do? Yeah, so when we started a, the core value conversation, it was a few years back. We did an exercise and, and kind of wanted the, the team. We wanted to empower the team to come up with them on their own and um, grit and toughness was an obvious and easy one just instilled through our, our guys and our alums from those first couple of years, um, as well as uh, brotherhood. You know, we, we were just from day one, um, something that was really important to myself and, and Andrew Geese when we started this program was just you know, having a close knit team um, and, and being united, you know, on all fronts. So um, we recruit to that a little bit, but it's also the type of campus community that Monmouth is and the type of student that, that Monmouth attracts. Um, but it was another easy one that our guys said, hey, we, they were really close to begin with. Um, and like I said, more of a credit to them than anything. Um, but brotherhood is our other core value. Um, and then proactive accountability. Um, we added proactive on the front of accountability because I mean, usually, especially in the college, um, college student athletes minds accountability is more of holding someone accountable and punishing them for something they did wrong so we added proactive accountability to it uh, in a in an effort to kind of help think about them help them think about things before they need to do something preparedness would be another way of saying it so the example we use in the academics is you know not wait until the night before a test and then cramming and studying all night and, and you know not getting any sleep so preparing the right way and on the field for us it's doing extra work you know before practice uh, before game day, putting your time in and getting to know the scouting report. So proactive, just on the front end, you know, being like holding yourself accountable to, to doing more and being prepared on the front end of things. So those are our three core values. And, and certainly with our culture being so strong and just having a, a really good locker room um, with a lot of really good guys in it, you know, those are the three, but other values that we kind of just um, have due to the, the sense that we're, you know, in a really good place with the guys in our locker room. Awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about player development. Um, please, uh, if you would, share a little bit about your philosophies on this, you know, big picture, and then maybe sort of by position groups. Yeah, I mean, with everybody, and one of the things that we say here at Monmouth all the time is, you know, we coach sideline to sideline, end line to end line. You know, we just try to coach really good lacrosse. And yes, about my Notre Dame experience, that was something that, you know, Kevin Corrigan, Jerry Byrne, and, and Kevin Anderson, we, we always preach, you know, we just, we just coached lacrosse and, and coached it in all areas of the field. So, um, you know, we coach sideline to sideline, end line to end line. And when it comes to player development, um, one of the things that, that we're fortunate about here at Monmouth is we have a good budget and resources to invest in technology. Um, film. We love film and we're film junkies from the recruits watching, you know, high school videos, um, any highlight videos that some of us will watch, but uh, just our own team. Um, obviously, we do the big picture film stuff for to develop chemistry within our team and our offensive and defensive units, as well as prepare for our opponents. But individual film, you know, we catalog so much individual film for our players that we post it for them to watch, but also for us to, to review with them. Um, we film every practice and even our breakdown sessions. So when we take um, close up shots of, of positional specific groups, but uh, we love the film. 
uh, and just love developing that lacrosse IQ through conversations. And I think one of the things that makes the, our sport so fun is like basketball, hockey, soccer, a little bit. It's very fluid. It's always changing. You're always processing information and making quick decisions. And uh, we just always felt that the more aligned all of our decision-making can be in, in those heat of the battle moments um, from players to captains to staff, um, the higher our level of IQ, then the better those decisions will be. So um, we build relationships with our guys and try to empower them to make decisions on the fly, but through just coaching lacrosse and a lot of film review and, and just candid conversation with them um, in huddles, in the locker room, um, you know, you name it on the bus. So um, developing IQ and, and through film is probably the, the two big things that we, we preach. Love it. Film is, it's key because without it, you really don't know what happened. Yeah. Yes. Well, from the, from the player's perspective, certainly <laughs> you get, you get them in a room and they go, Oh, I didn't know I was doing that. I, now I see what you're saying. So it's just a, another mode to, to educate and teach. Um, and, and we just love it. It just makes things so, so simpler. And we do it in our locker room. We do it in our film room. We do it in our office just, um, and sometimes we do it last year through the pandemic. We did it mobile <laughs> a lot of times. So, um, but yeah, film is a big tool for us. Well, it's a huge tool for coaches too, because a lot of times you you can think somebody didn't play well. And when you go back and watch, they didn't they didn't play as bad as you thought. Or if you thought somebody yeah. or your team played really well, you go back and watch. You're like, man, we were not as good as I thought we were. You know, it's like, man, I we were drawing slides. You know, like it's a lot yep. of times you just can't really tell. Um, so much to be learned um, from it. And 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 how much time would you say you're, you know, do you spend on individual? film time with with guys like per week would you say yeah i mean you just hit the nail on the head i mean this is a, another notre dame term that we use here at monmouth and uh, just it's probably a universal across term but um invisible plays that show up on film you know mom and dad aren't going to be clapping for the, the tough ground ball or the communication you know on the sideline but when you see those things show up on film that's kind of the grease that allows a team and a unit to play well with, and with chemistry and, and play good lacrosse so um yeah those invisible plays show up on film and and we try to reiterate them through film with our guys of how important they are to us as well. Um, this is the time of the year, you know, the fall, the falls are great, uh, is great, particularly here at Monmouth because we've got great weather um, pretty much all the way into middle of November. You know, um, you can still swim if you want, if you're a beach nut and, and you love the ocean, but uh, you know, we've got mid sixties and, you know, high fifties at night, mid sixties during the day, it's you sweat during practice, but you're never like worried or concerned about the heat. So um, we're not preparing to play anybody on Saturday. We're working on, player and team development. So there's no pressure, no pressure, no stress of, Hey, we got to be ready for on this date. So yeah, we spend a lot of time. Sometimes the individual development will slow down the overall team development as we spend more time on those fundamentals um, and that positional development throughout the fall. And that's kind of where we're at right now. The big picture doesn't look, look great uh, with only five practices under our belt so far this fall, but we're working on the fundamentals and, and improving the individual. So the, as the, the pieces improve and get better. They start to fit within that puzzle, you know, later in the year, uh, a little more nicely. So a uh, lot of, a lot of film work coming up in the next month and a half, two months for us, um, as well as strength and conditioning, you know, we're also lifting, um, alternating days with practice and lift right now. So that one, the guys have some balance in their, in their daily schedule. Um, we're not beating them up with three or four hours of lacrosse each day right now in the fall. Um, but working on that overall, you know, individual development and, and getting into some film real soon here as we catalog some more video as we get into this thing. When you talk about your strength and conditioning, how do you um, how do you develop uh, speed and power? Yeah, that's part of I think part of any good um, 
strength and conditioning plan nowadays. You know, you're always working on um, strength, but also speed and power. Uh, probably add another one to that, you know, agilities and range of motion to prevent injuries. Um, we've got a, a wonderful strength and conditioning staff uh, and a guy who's working with us, Mike Tears. Is, it's his first year full time with our program and he's doing a fabulous job. He's coming out with our team um, several days a week in addition to the, the time in the lift. Um, we're even doing beach workouts with him right now um, on Friday mornings. Our, our leadership and veterans came to me over the summer. And so we've done this in the past once or twice, but they wanted to make it a, a staple. So uh, right now, I think for like six Friday mornings in a row, we're we're doing Friday morning workouts on the beach. And a big part of that is it's not a hard workout, but it's it's seven or eight different stations where you're working on some strength, some um, some speed work and overall agility and flexibility with bands and with some agilities in the sand, um, as well as, um, you know, working on that that strength, speed and agility. So it's uh, it's it's ho- it's a holistic approach, to be honest with you. And that's yeah. when you have good people, knowledgeably knowledgeable people, um, you know, training your student athletes. Um, I think you get that, you know, nuances and, and, and that level of detail in everything we do. I love it. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, um, your guys, um, Mammoth's offensive philosophy and um, how you kind of envision your, your, yourself playing? I'm sure it's a little different year to year and personnel wise, but how do you guys like to play? What's your sort of overall philosophy on it? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, I think, when it comes to you know, each team, you, you want to play to your personnel strengths and that can vary from one year to the next. Um, we've always recruited with an eye towards athletes, um, on both ends of the field. Um, those athletes for us over the years have done very well in just how we play defense, um, but also clearing effectively and efficiently and getting the ball up and out. And it kind of goes back to what I said a few moments ago, you know, we, we coach sideline to sideline, end line to end line. Um, we want to play fast and, and, um, capitalize on transition in the middle of the field, whether it's odd man rushes or just using those athletes as they go from one end of the field to another and have momentum. Um, we empower them to make plays. Um, so we, we recruit with an eye towards the athletes, but um, we've been fortunate over the years too, to have just a number of guys in those roles that have allowed us to play that way. So uh, it's not something we are um, pushing with, with a ban- and an abandoning, and, um, you know, all decision-making and, um, we're not playing reckless, but we're teaching our guys to take advantage of any opportunity where it's a north-south um, opportunity to be aggressive or it's a numbers situation. So um, that would be kind of the end line to end line and, and middle of the field play. You know, offensively on the 6v6 end, you know, we adapt and evolve depending on our personnel. Um, you know, we've been more athletic than skilled over the last few years. So um, some of the things we like to do is just get our athletes in space and spread the defense out and let them run a little bit. Um, but we're also, especially this time of year with fundamentals, working heavily on that skill and putting the ball in the back of net and, and incorporating some other things, you know, pick play and um, how to use the cage to your advantage, things like that. So um, I think any good, um, you know, good coaching staff, good division one program is going to have three or four options offensively. You just kind of have to in order to, to have an answer for some things that a defense may do. But, uh, but we've got two or three standard sets that we run um, and within those give the guys a lot of freedom and empower them to make decisions and just play good lacrosse um, as they see it. Talk a little bit about the pick play and how you guys are using that. How much would you say percentage-wise do you guys play two-man games? Um, uh, tough to give, a, give you a percentage. It's, it certainly hasn't been the strength of our team or we're not jump-starting offense by saying, all right, you two guys go in this area of the field and and run a pick in terms of spreading people out and having athletes that can run, um, you know, we'll, we'll jumpstart some things with picks in space um, 
more so um, just to kind of clear guys away from the crease area and pull guys outside and then outside of the paint, um, move the ball and then, and then keep playing. Um, but, you know, everything in, in lacrosse after those first eight, nine, 10, maybe 12 seconds of structured offense where we just need to start on the same page, everything else is kind of freelance and continue to play, continue to move. So we can set, we set picks out of ball movement um, just within that, within that structure. One of our, you know, our, our four or five things that we preach uh, about playing good offense, you know, the jump cuts, um, holding your man accountable when you see the back of his head and cutting and moving, elevating to space to set up a, your next dodge or two are things we preach after we just get through that initial structured offense. Uh, slam picks are, or we call we throw and pet and then throw and then pick down is another one of those, you know, four or five options that we like to preach to our guys. So, um, you know, we certainly use them. Um, very rare that we just jumpstart our offense with them just due to our skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a, a couple guys that, you know, have a little bit more of that skill. And we've had a couple of young guys who are, are growing up for us that, that may allow us to do some more of those things in this upcoming year as well. Nice. What, uh, how, do you, how about um, off-ball two-man game, off-ball picks, slips, seals? Yeah, some of his, his picks, pops, exchanges, you know, that's more of that just movement off-ball. Um, you know, how to, how to kind of rub a guy and get in his way. It's almost like when, you know, your two receivers and, uh, you know, on the outside, you know, you, you can't set a pick and, and be moving and, and knock a guy over, but if you can kind of run that, that hook and just kind of get in his way and create space where off ball, a defender goes around that, that screen, we call the off ball picks a screen. If the guy goes around that screen, you can alter your cut to get more separation and create space. And that's just another way we preach off preach and coach off ball, um, you know, creativity in terms of, of getting open. So, um, yeah, we're, we're not necessarily, it's not a staple saying, Hey, you need to pick this guy off ball, but we're, we're teaching kind of how to get in each other's way, get in the defender's way to kind of free up space for other guys. Totally. What, um, you mentioned earlier, um, using the goal to your advantage. What did you mean by that? Just, uh, Knowing how your band is playing in, and this is part preparation and scouting report, you know, knowing how other defenses like to play um, as they approach the ball behind. So if you're a crafty attackman, you know, you know how to play that cat and mouse game where if the defender's on the back pipe, I can sneak a little bit more towards the front front side. Uh, if the defender's on the front side, I can go deeper in or come to the back side of the cage so that you're just altering his approach so that when the ball comes to that attackman, you have a little bit of an advantage already just by creating some off ball space with your own movement. So um, we teach our attack and kind of how to play around that cage and, and put the defense, your, his defender in a tough spot. And sometimes it gives the attack the advantage, but sometimes it, it, it just gets the, the defenseman frustrated to the part where he just either needs to, to get himself in a better position to play the, the, his, his man behind, it may move him away from a role above the cage or playing yeah. help defense as well. So um, that kind of, we call it cat and mouse game around the, around the cage. And if you can put your man in a tough spot, he now has to focus on you as opposed to other parts of the defense. Yeah. I love that. And it's, it's so true. You can pretty much eliminate it and make it five on five, you know, yep. um, above the cage if you want to, I guess the only downside is sometimes you're not in an available outlet at, yes. at all times. How do you, uh, navigate that with your players and, and, and make yourself an available outlet when necessary, but at the same time, be taking advantage of that, um, that goal as yeah. an off ball player. That's a great point. You know, and that's where I think the film and, and talking to our guys off the field really helps us build that relationship and that trust with them. 
Um, when you're playing good offense and you're trying to empower guys to make aggressive cuts, um, to use the cage around the cage as an example, sometimes you, you may make the wrong read or you may miss out on a, a responsibility as being an outlet in front of the ball if you're trying to sneak to the back pipe. Um, you know, we don't freak out or get overly concerned with those things as long as they're not making the wrong decision over and over and over again. And, and that's where you get your separation with, you know, starters versus, you know, new guys who are trying to feel that out. But um, the more we can get on the same page through the film study and the communication with our guys, the better we'll be. But if you're playing good offense um, and you're empowering guys to be aggressive, sometimes they just, they don't always see the game we do, or as coaches, sometimes from the sideline, we don't, we don't see the game the way they do. Um, another example I'd say with that is just sometimes you get uh, an attackman might sneak to the back pipe uh, and he's thinking, you know, when my defender comes in that push roll, I'm going to be in this pocket, this window, and I'm going to be open for the, for the slam dunk. Well, then the midi goes ahead and shoots it and he misses the goal and, and we don't have any backup. You know, I think you see it a lot on extra man situations when guys are stepping above the cage to be dangerous, the shot goes off and they miss out on their backup responsibility. And I think that's just part of, part of making aggressive decisions. You have to um, you know, not get too worked up over things like that or freak out. You just have to teach your guys, you know, whether it was the right decision or not. And a lot of times on film, you know, we'll be able to say, you know, I didn't see it this way from the field or the sideline, but I, I think you were right. You made the right play. It just didn't work out. Uh, that's why I think the game's so great. It's such a fluid game, you know, like hockey and basketball. I mean, you don't score in every possession, you know, it's, it doesn't always work out. Um, so um, we do a lot of, a lot of film study and, and conversation with our guys to just try to get us on the same page as best we can. Um, but sometimes that happens when you play good lacrosse and it goes all the way back, I think, to the start of our conversation, you know, we talk about fundamentals and, and the foundation, the individual foundation of how we play, um, you know, some off offensive guys in, in this example we're using, when that slide comes and there's no immediate outlet, he has to be able to run away, protect big turn and, and escape that double team. We're not asking that guy to make the home run play in that moment. We just need to survive and then move the ball so that we can continue to play. And um, that's also good offense. And that's, you know, one of the things we're working on this time of year too, you know, drawing that slide, but also how to survive and escape it first by either bouncing and trying to buy time so that we can still push the ball forward and, and have that open outlet in front. But if it's not there, big term, protect, move the ball. You did your job. Great stuff. Um, all right. I got a question. We talk about dodging. And you talked about getting people in space and pretty athletic and able to run by guys creating offense this way. Um, so my two questions are, one is, um, how do you teach dodging? And two, um, how do you teach the element of the, the context along with the dodge itself? Because the dodge is one thing, but then it's all the people in your way and sliders and stuff that you have to be able to see. So how do you teach those uh, those two things. Yeah. And uh, just, I think to illustrate your point even more, I just would say just, uh, isn't it amazing how some guys just have a, a, a keen sense on how to do that and how to dodge and just have a better knack for it than others. Just, yeah. you know, breaking a guy down by selling right to go left. Uh, some guys have that, that sixth sense of I can dodge and never, never am I concerned about the guy defending me. I'm looking through the defense and then those other guys and particularly a lot of young guys as they transition to playing at the division one level freshmen, you know, they're, they're concerned about that guy who's cross-checking them, you know? So right. um, I think through reps practice, that a big part of that is experience. Um, it, it does amaze me uh, just how many guys I just from, maybe it's from not playing uh, as many sports as, um, 
I guess uh, the generation or two ago would the multi-sport athlete, just when guys are focused on lacrosse, I think they miss out on some of the, that coaching of, you know, how to break a guy down playing basketball. If you're a receiver in football, how to send, sell a guy one way before making your route break and going the other way. But, um, you know, we teach that. We get a lot of reps with it. Um, again, it comes back to that film and that, that individual conversation. We have the guys, some guys are speed dodges, can make one, one jab, step and go. Uh, other guys who, you know, may not have the, the quickness, the foot speed, they need to be a little more, elusive and kind of how they change their body, um, you know, change their speed, move their body. Um, some guys need to just outright be a little more physical because they're never going to run by somebody that with, uh, with the foot speed. So combining all those things, um, what we do is a lot of different one-on-ones of what we call one-on-ones into three V two drills, where it's a one-on-one until you draw the slide and then you have to run away and make the simple pass. And in a one-on-one to three-v-two drill, that outlet may not always be in front of the ball. They may have to run away and escape that pressure. But um, we do those drills in space. We do them in kind of the, the mid-range, you know, the 12 to 15 yards. Then we do them in tight, you know, at like six and seven and eight yards away from the goal. Sometimes it's off of a pass. Sometimes it's you take the ball, the defender, put your hands on them. We're going to blow the whistle and you've got three seconds to get your hands free and make the play. So um, just exposing guys to those different areas of the field, those different types of jot dodges. And, you know, just not not settling in on it. This is there's one way to do it. Everybody has to dodge this way just because we, we acknowledge up front. Not everybody can. Everybody's a little bit different. So um, in terms of teaching it, we get a lot of reps with it and, and try to teach it to fit the 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 personnel. How important is deception um, in, in your opinion, as far as dodging goes? I think it's very important. It's kind of that, as I mentioned, that sixth sense. Some guys have it, some guys don't. It's very hard to teach, but uh, that shake, that wiggle, um, kind of the same in shooting. I think it's something you did many years ago with the, the introduction of the leaner. You know, just any kind of deception uh, is just another way for you to gain an angle or gain an edge um, that's just going to give you a little bit more opportunity to make a play or finish a play. So, um, you know, the funny story I'd share with that is, you know, when we recruited Bryce Wasserman from, um, Dallas, Texas. He was this small, scrawny kid. I, if you've watched his pro career and MLLs, listened to his interviews, he'd tell you he was this under-recruited, skinny, scrawny kid who, you know, who was learning how to play lacrosse when uh, so many people were, were turned off by his game because he was just underdeveloped. But when, when I saw him play as a young guy, um, he was very elusive, uh, very deceptive and used his body. He had like that kind of basketball shake just that he would use to get his hands free. And the irony is by the time he was a junior with us, he grew so much. He worked so darn hard and uh, on his strength and conditioning, he was a speed dodger <laughs> by the time he, he graduated from our program. Um, but um, guys that have it, we call it being creative. You know, the guys that have it. And when we preach on the field, Hey, be creative with this dodger. He's got his hands on you. Be creative with some shake. Um, we try to instill that confidence to be creative and, and, and find, find ways for guys to, to bring that to their game. But it's, it's a very hard concept, I think, for guys to, to understand that the guys that have it, have it. The guys that don't, it, it's hard to build and, and instill in them the confidence to do it. Uh, and then some guys just never see the, see the game or feel the game that way. So it, it's hard for those guys. But um, yeah. that's why we, we coach it different ways. For sure. It is so interesting, though. I mean, it's as simple as not looking where you're going. You know, it's as simple as yeah. posture. You know, one posture will back somebody off. Another posture will invite them to come play you. Yep. And that feel that you just referenced, you know, can't, it can't be taught. And it is so important. And every time you start working on stuff, like whatever it is, whatever good move it is you're working on, 
in, in one sense, you're kind of working on doing something in structure with, without actually being deceptive about it. Yeah. Um, and that's the hard part um, is, and I think it's the, just what you said, kids not growing up playing as many different sports or as many sports with their friends where you kind of just figure yep. out like, all right, this one guy keeps blocking my shot. I'll, I'm going to have to fake a shot, you know, in order to get a yes. shot, you know, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah. The other way we, we kind of describe it and use this, this phrase in, in all different areas of the game is, you know, commander's intent, you know, if the, the commander say, Hey, I want you to take that hill and I want you to go, go up this path to take it. But someone in that platoon or excuse my military lingo here, but says it'd be a lot easier if we run, went around this way and we would run into less resistance and we'd still get the job done. You know, he's breaking the commander's intent, but still accomplishing the mission. Uh, we talk about that with clearing, playing offense. You know, we have this structure, we have these patterns that help you and help our team be organized. But if you can, through your own creativity, athleticism, or ruthless killer instinct, can give a guy a shake and get him off you and make the play and hit the shot, by all means, that's the empowering um, our guys with the confidence to make those aggressive decisions and, and, and get the play. I mean, the same thing that we want to score, we want to clear the ball. Um, there's just a lot of different ways to do it in a fluid sport such as ours. So we, we, we talk about probably at least once a semester that commander's intent and share that story to just make sure they know that there's a lot of ways to get this done. We're giving you some ways to help keep us organized, but you know, the freedom that comes with playing such a great sport is you can make your own decisions and, and be aggressive. And that's why it's great in practice. If it doesn't work out we're, as coaches, we're going to tell you about it. We're going to watch it on film and say, maybe next time we're, you know, but uh, that's also having self-awareness and knowing when, when and where on the field, you can make those plays. So it, it's, it just goes back down to that coaching, building relationships, empowering guys to, to be aggressive, have fun and, and, and try to make their plays while also understanding how we as a team collectively need to work and play to be great. All right, let's switch gears and talk a little bit, a little defense. Um, obviously, uh, you you coach at Notre Dame, known for defense um, for 30 years. They've been great on defense, and it seems like they've really been consistent. Kevin has, regardless of who's been with them, very consistent with, with teaching players how to read the game and have certain yep. important habits and not and, and just like you said, it, not tell them exactly what to do. I remember back when I was first coming up in the ranks as a head coach, it was, it was a time when you would not slide to eight and we're always going to slide to 15. And I remember Kevin being like, yeah, we don't do that. Um, and, um, and I love it. So I'm curious what, what you've taken from that as you uh, build and structure your own um, defense at Monmouth. Yeah. It's uh, just from my career. I mean, with Jim Stagnita and how we kind of built our Rutgers teams with defense first, um, and I was fortunate. I was the guy working with the goalies at Rutgers with Greg Havlicek and a couple other really good goalies there. And then uh, on to Notre Dame, just like, as you just mentioned, just known for playing good defense, um, you know, took a lot of those, those same concepts and that same kind of modes of teaching um, from those two places with myself here at, at Monmouth. Um, we just call it, you know, teaching good inside out health principles. It, it more probably resembles a, a basketball style defense probably than anything um, we're empowering guys to you know one play tough on the ball to make good decisions and slide and recover when you need to more an assessment of threat levels um, of areas on the field than we are concerned about matchups we'd rather play the the situation and how dangerous it is versus worrying about you know who's covering who or you know whether or not this guy's going to score five but we'll hold the team to eight you know so 
uh, it's more about just teaching the right ways to play within our within our system and playing you know certain um, actions a, a certain way, but always being inside out. Um, just communication and toughness are probably um, two really big keys to playing uh, the way in which we do. Um, but I'm really fortunate here at Monmouth. Um, Andrew Geeson's been a, a friend and a colleague in the business for a really long time. And from day one, he's, he's headed up our defense. And um, while, while I was at Notre Dame, he was a big fan of ours and would come into practices and, and hanging out with, with our team uh, when he was working in Chicago um, and coaching it in, in Chicago. So um, we had a, a lot of similar um, ideas and thoughts about how we would coach defense um, so from day one, he's coached our defense. He's really allowed me to focus on other areas of being a head coach. And uh, we've been on the same page just from our days where we worked together for a year at Rutgers, just to um, our careers kind of always being close together and staying in touch. Um, and he's just done a great job with our defense and taking so many of those things that we did at Notre Dame from our time at Rutgers and just through conversation between the two of us, you know, he runs it entirely. So um, he's been great and just allowed me to be better in so many other areas because he's handled all the defensive stuff. And, um, we're, we're pretty much on the same page at all times just because of our, our upbringing together, but, um, he's done a great job and, and we just kind of try to teach good help team defense, be inside out of everything. Um, been fortunate with some really good goalies here, here at Monmouth, uh, as well, uh, which makes things a lot easier. They always take the pressure off when there are breakdowns. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's a team buy-in um, through um, the work that Coach Geeson has done with our team over the years as well. Um, how do you guys play picks on ball picks? Do you have different ways of playing them in different parts of the field, or do you try to play them consistently, or do you like to be able to have the versatility to change it up if you feel like you're getting hurt on one thing or another? Um, I'd say versatility to change it up, but it's not a game plan where we say we're going to you know, make this change if we're struggling with picks. Uh, it's more about the the threat levels and assessing the situation, you know, and I think probably the, the two big ones, which are just kind of standard practice in, 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 in the division one world is just, you know, you play picks outside the paint differently than you do inside the paint, you know, inside the paint, if, if you're not physical and a little more over the, on the picks, trying to go over them and fight the offensive player, uh, or if there's a, a pick that is effective inside the paint, you need to switch it immediately so that that offensive player can't get his hands. And in bat, the basketball world, if you go under a pick or you're passive on a pick where a guy's in range, he's going to you know step away and shoot the jumper. Um, so we try to be a little more physical uh, on picks around the, the goal and around that paint area when guys are within range. But out in space, um, you know, we try to keep our matchups and get through you know, picks, but it's not a, it's not a hard, fast rule. You know, we teach our guys to play good lacrosse. If you're out in space, the man playing the pick doesn't need to be all the way up on that, on that pick. The closer he is to the pick, the further he is away from the paint and making decisions that could help the defense. So um, we empower that guy to one, communicate and help get his teammates through that pick. So the pick is a non-factor um, Two, if we play the ball with toughness and kind of funnel him away from the pick or, you know, down the alley or, you know, that pick sometimes can be negated by the fact that we're, we're tough and playing the ball in the direction away from the pick. And three, the, the guy who's um, playing the pick man has the decision to call switch at any time. And we empower him to make a good decision. That could be if a guy hits a pick, no matter where it is on the field, you know, the offensive Dodger is going to have that advantage. We can negate that advantage by switching it no matter where it is on the field. Uh, if pick or no pick, you know, the, 
Um, defender playing the pick, you know, um, makes a decision to switch due to the fact that maybe the, the on ball defender just whiffs. He get the, there's a jab step and he goes to play him and he misses entirely. And we don't even hit or run into the pick, but there was a pick coming. If we whiffed on that, that's going to be an advantage to the offensive player. So assessing that threat, just saying we can eliminate that threat before the Dodd even gets off the ground by switching. So um, kind of just making sure that guys know that instead of being outflanked on uh, east or west of the pick, they can make decisions that will just help us play defense from the inside out. So it's just more about just teaching, teaching good defense, being inside out, um, empowering them to make decisions and communicating so that we're all on the same page. And one thing that I hear Coach Geeson say a lot, and I think we, we've always said it at our time at Notre Dame too, I know Jerry Byrne would always say it, but it's just, you know, you don't always have to make the right decision, but if you make the decision with authority, you communicate it and you make it early enough, we'll all be on the same page and we'll survive it. Let's talk a little bit about communication. You've, you've referenced that a bunch of times. Um, how do you characterize the importance of it? And, and then how do you teach it? Cause, cause you can kind of rep it, but, but if there's such a, <laughs> such a portion of it that requires processing Yep. simultaneously communicating and processing. How do you teach that? Uh, I think everything plays into it, right? Experience for one. I think the, the older you get, the more experience you have, the game slows down a little bit. Um, so experience factors into that in a big way. Um, but, you know, conditioning, the, the more the game wears on, the longer the possessions get. Conditioning plays into it. Um, big part of communication is listening. So you know, the guy on the other end needs to listen, process, and then execute. Um, it's hard. It's especially hard for younger guys who are just trying to keep up with the pace of play. And I'm coming back to that right now because it's, it's still early in the fall for us. And we're trying to get a lot of, a lot of young guys and transfers up, up to speed and playing at, at the division one pace. But um, it, it is a challenge. You know, we do small breakdown drills to help them with communication. We do specific breakdown drills with particular actions. And then we kind of give the defense the, the cheat sheet or the, the answers to the test, here's what you're going to call in this situation, and then we do it. You know, and then we can come back and watch it on film and say, well, he popped. You better have called pop. You better have communicated to him. And, um, you know, so with those smaller-sided, smaller-numbered drills, we isolate some actions, which helps give confidence and gain experience and, and isolate the, the communications that we want. Um, and then it's just something we preach. You know, we, we do a lot of scramble and chaotic drills to just make them um, create that instinctual you know, rotations and chaos and, and just fluidity with our, within our game where they have to read, react, and then communicate and execute. So uh, it is a challenge for sure. And it's uh, a lot like anything within our game. You know, the more experience you get, the better, in the better conditioned you are as an athlete, the more of a confident vocal leader you are, the easier it is. You typically see the, the older guys as your better communicators, especially when they've been in your system and they know your language and terminology because um, they've been using it for a few years, but, uh, but it's tough. Um, a lot like what I mentioned is there's not always, not always making the right play on the field. Um, a lot of our young guys, especially, and sometimes communication, always making the right communication or maybe the right call. But if we are communicating and we are listening and doing it together, uh, it, may, it may still work out, or in many cases does work out, even though a coach or another teammate may have solved differently. But if we can all be on the same page with that communication, we can still survive a, a lot of different things that uh, the offense would throw at us. So uh, the early communication, the loud being confident and having that kind of shock value when you talk on the field so that everybody can hear you and, and it registers. Um, that's one thing we 
we preach, but as coaches, it, it really gets under our skin fast when guys are communicating, but only one or two guys on the field hear them. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, we, they need to communicate with the confidence and authority in a way that that really makes sure that um, everyone on the field hears it. I something I say over and over again is, I, you know, you need to communicate like your parents are here watching practice. So on game day, when you call one more because you're wide open for that one more pass, I want mom and dad in the stands to hear it. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want the three guys on the field to hear it. I don't ever want to hear the excuse of like, well, I just didn't hear them because uh, that's something we have control over. But that's also that, that confidence and experience that we have to instill in our guys to get to that level. So, um, you know, we don't jump down their throat if they're making necessarily the wrong call, but, but we will teach and, and, and work on communication pretty much throughout the fall, but it also different parts of practice. It will be a, um, you know, a priority, but then again, and even the scrimmages when it's not something we're making priority, I, almost every breakdown of every, every session or every scrimmage, I say to the staff, Hey, do you have anything? It's, it's very rare that one of the four coaches doesn't say we need to communicate better. So um, yeah. it's just like the, just like your core values, you know, it's just something that always has to be a presence and always be, we always have to be reminding them of. When you guys are playing defense, how, how much um, are you looking for uh, double team opportunities as opposed to just pure slide and recovery? I mean, obviously you got to slide when you got to slide, but do you guys yeah. look for doubles? Certainly. Uh, it's another way we empower our, our athletes. You know, we want to empower them to make a good aggressive decisions. And, you know, if we got, if a guy has got his hand pins and hands pinned and he's uh, offensive Dodgers fighting you know, a defensive midi to get to the cage and we can slide because he's not in a position to bounce, run away or, or move it because he's concerned about the on-ball defender. Yeah. We talk about sliding out of opportunity to be aggressive, uh, you know, rollbacks. If a guy gets so caught up with going hard to the cage and he rolls back aggressively, can we slide and kind of hammer slide and double team that ball? Yeah. If a guy's, uh, especially with the, the new dive rules, you know, if a guy's going, you know, full bent on getting to the front of the goal and he's ready to dive, if we can slide and get there before he gets to the, the crease at goal line, you know, when he's before he can even begin that dive. I mean, that's an all in tight dodge where if we slide to it, you know, we're going to have the advantage. It's tough to make plays out of some of those kind of suicide or, or chaotic dodges where a guy's going really hard or fighting the defender. So we're, we're always talking about that. Um, same with some, some picks, you know, we don't, we don't jump switch picks, but sometimes it, we empower guys if the timing is right to, to make that aggressive decision as well. And as long as it's communicated, like I said, we can, we can work through some of those things, even if it's not a staple of what we do. But yeah, we're we're always empowering our guys to think aggressively. Um, another example would just be free double teams. If the offense does a, you know, uh, is lazy or has a, a an adjacent defender inside out or goes outside of the play, you know, a free double team would be another time that we can apply a little bit of pressure if the the offensive spacing breaks down. So yeah, we're always looking for for things like that. And in practice and, and just back to the communication, the film reiterating what's a good aggressive slide and or double team versus, you know, what's not when you, you try to do it to a guy's face and it doesn't work out. So um, yeah, that, that we get better at that through experience, through practice and also through communication, but we're, we're always empowering our guys. Yeah. Slide does not always have to be out of necessity. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. All right. Let's switch gears for last topic. Let's talk a little about recruiting. First of all, um, tell us about Monmouth. I, I sort of, kicked off this podcast saying I'd spent time in, in the Monmouth area, the Rumson Fairhaven area. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Tell us a little bit about the school, school size, and then how you approach your recruiting, what you're looking for, um, stuff like that. I mean, our biggest challenge with recruiting in the pandemic certainly 
uh, man, put a, put a big hurt on us in this way is, is we just need more people to see mama. We need more people to come and visit campus. Um, even with the pandemic, the last couple of years of um, programs and showcases running tournaments through this new uh, sports complex, the Capelli Sports Complex, which is only about three miles door to door from our campus, has brought more teams, more people to our campus and to our area. Um, but from our, our very first day on campus back in 2012, when we started recruiting this thing, we just needed guys to see it. Um, you know, Monmouth is gorgeous. It's uh, about 170 acres, um, three quarters of a mile from the beach in, a, in an intimate um, and tight, pretty community um, that is Monmouth community. It's in a residential neighborhood, uh, coastal community um, with, you know, FCS level football and uh, 20 plus division one sports, um, you know, with a, an athletic department like a, a Hofstra or a Villanova, you know, we've got um, great facilities, um, really nice campus. In the nine years that we've been here, I think five new buildings have gone up on campus, including our new football stadium that, that we play in. It's our home as well, but there's been a new dorm, two new uh, academic buildings. So um, there's even plans on the horizon for additional athletic buildings to go up. They were they were put a little bit on hold due to the pandemic, but um, in the next, I think, two, three, four years with the strategic planning or under the direction of uh, our president, um, you know, we're going to have an, an more upgrade in facilities coming real soon. So um, you just roll all those things together and, and you talk about an intimate academic um, experience with small classrooms. Your class are going to be 25 students or less. Professors are going to know your name. Um, all while being in a, a mid-major size athletic department and, and a medium-sized school with 6,000, you know, graduate and undergraduate students, um, we just have a lot to offer. So our biggest challenge in recruiting is, is just having more people through campus and, and, and seeing what the, the Monmouth community, um, both on campus and off campus, what it truly means. So um, we're getting there. <laughs> we're certainly getting there. And now that, uh, you know, we're allowed to have people back on campus and, and with the pandemic pretty much in, in the rearview mirror right now, you know, with, with everything we had to fight last year with just not being able to get off campus and, and recruit or even bring students through campus. It was certainly a challenge. Yeah. We had a, a lot of videos and things we would send out, but it still just, just doesn't do it justice. Uh, like coming on a campus visit and or seeing this place, having lunch on the boardwalk at the beach. Um, as you mentioned with, you know, your visit to our area rumps and just, uh, seeing it firsthand, it, it makes it a truly special place. So, um, yeah, we just need to get more people here, but, um, recruiting has been going well. Um, we've taken kind of a, um, you know, a, a, an approach where we recruit, you know, coast to coast. We, uh, we want to make sure we get the best fit, you know, and that fit includes guys who have, um, good academics, career aspirations, um, guys who want to be successful when they, when they graduate from Monmouth, um, we want guys who have good character and will fit in within our locker room and our campus community. Um, just walking around on campus, uh, my first interview here in the summer months when there wasn't even a lot of students on campus, uh, it felt very similar to Notre Dame. And it was just a, a strong sense of pride and community that you would feel um, walking throughout campus with students holding doors, um, students, faculty, everyone being polite, please and thank you. And just um, people stopping you just to talk, you know, throughout the day. It felt a lot like the Midwest when you uh, you go to the grocery store and people want to talk to you about your, you know, your experience if you're wearing the, the Monmouth hat or the Notre Dame hat. So, um, yeah, uh, recruiting is going well. We still need more people to get through campus and see this place. And yeah. hopefully with the little bit of success we're having and just the experience we're providing with uh, international trips, uh, leadership programs, um, career 
um, career help and career assistance through our career counseling center. Um, you know, I, nine years now, I think we're a little over 50 alums uh, that have gone through our program uh, with maybe only with one or two exceptions. They're all in the workforce right now and they're having a lot of success as they, as they are, you know, becoming of age and hitting that 25, 26, 27 year old mark. So really proud of, of our guys, but also just, uh, it's been great that Mammoth has these resources and support, um, and is providing the education that's helping them prepare them for life after college. So coming off a year where everything was virtual, everything was film. And, and now this past summer, you could get back out on the road. How did you find a balance between leveraging the power of film and being able to see a lot, uh, as well as what you can, what you can't see on film that you were able to see this summer in real time live. Yeah. Nothing beats being on the sideline, you know, traveling, seeing your peers and colleagues, catching up with friends, um, bumping into coaches. Uh, and then nothing just beats the, the seeing play live and, and the invisible plays and, and the feeling, the communication, the urgency, the intensity that guys play with. Um, it's hard to pick up on film. Um, so it's, it's been nice to get back out on the road and, I think uh, all coaches felt like we were shot out of a cannon this June because we were finally able to get back on the road. And I know I, I, for one of my staff, we, we were on the road probably more so than, uh, than we have, have been in years past, just because we were, um, you know, thirsty for, for that opportunity to get back out on the road and, and had missed it for a year and a half. But, um, it's also provided some benefits too. you know, having um, a lot of these showcases and tournaments catalog their film, if we're unable to get to a place and with only three or four coaches, one staff um, at division one institutions, you know, we can't get to everything. There's just so many events out there. So having the ability to say, Oh, you were at this event and going back and logging into film and, and watching full games, uh, not just highlight videos, but watching full games, those guys has helped as well. Um, and trying to find a balance where we're able to see a guy play on film and maybe that piques our interest and then going to see him play live. Um, that helps with the evaluation. Uh, something that we've always preached is trying to see guys play multiple times to get a feel for who they truly are. Um, if the recruitment allows, which it, it may not always at the division one level, if the recruitment allows, the longer that we build the relationship, the longer the recruitment plays out, not only do we get to see the student athlete play multiple times, we get to track growth as well. So if we can watch a guy play in the fall and then his high school spring, and then once again in the summer before making a decision, you know, it really helps us get a sense for who, who that, that athlete is on the field. Um, so it, film helps with in that regard too. And probably the other film that that's challenging, it, it can help get a, a, a student athlete's foot in the door, but it's just really difficult. We have to take it with a grain of salt. These highlight videos. <laughs> you know, I can't, can't tell you how many times I watch a highlight video of a face-off guy going, man, does he ever lose? He must win every single face-off. So, um, you know, the, the highlight videos can help you get a foot in the door. It can have a coach go, well, he's tough, but there's some speed or athleticism there. Uh, but really, that's just going to get you on our radar where we might go try to track you and see you play at a later date. Um, you know, so for those those young men listening who are putting together highlight reels, you know, I, I think you can have some negative plays on a highlight reel, too, if it displays your toughness, your next play mentality or your hustle. You know, it doesn't always have to be you making the play. If there's a bad play, but you can move on from it and, and show a play where you, you know, bounce back with some hustle or sprint and get in the hole, something that that's really valuable to us, too. So um highlight videos are good too we're junkies for them we love them and sometimes some coaches will say i don't like music on them but you know our staff you know give us a good soundtrack you'll get our heads bopping a little bit and, and i know when coach geeson on his computer he pulls up a highlight video if it's got a good tune to it you know we're all we're all paying attention so have some fun with those highlight videos too but um but yeah just uh just take it 
take it for what it is and understand they can get your foot in the door, but it's, we're not going to recruit solely off the highlight video either. So it, it's done, it's done both. The, the, the video has helped us, um, but it, it certainly going forward and, and it just can't be the only way in which we recruit because it's, it's difficult sometimes to truly get to know somebody. Yeah, no doubt. And, and the sample size bias is, is a problem, whether, whether it was, eh, I don't think that kid's that good or whether it's, man, I think he's awesome. And that's where the film does come in to play. The hard part yeah. is, is like um, watching um, a lot of film versus watching live film doesn't look as good. And so you, yeah. if you kind of compare some one person on, uh, only on film to somebody else that you saw only live, it's a very, very difficult, if not impossible way to yeah. compare. You almost need to see both of both, you know? Exactly. I mean, it's a great second opinion. You know, if we see a guy and we're like, wow, he plays with intensity and, He's really good in these three areas, but I only saw him at a showcase for maybe 30 minutes of lacrosse because I'm bouncing around from one field to the next. But he piqued my interest in that, that 30 minutes I watched him. I can now go back and, and watch two or three more game films. And if I already know he plays at a certain level with how hard he played in that 30 minutes I watched him, and I can check that box, but I can now watch two or three other games of his to further the evaluation. So, yeah, it's, it's a good tool, and, and I think that's a positive byproduct of, of the pandemic with many of these showcases continuing to catalog all yeah. their games and post them for coaches and, and fans to watch. So it's been helpful in, in that regard. For sure. Well, Fish, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about Monmouth lacrosse and your experiences um, and uh, what you got going on there. People should definitely check it out. Um, the area, the school, the program, um, all great stuff. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a blast to catch up, but I just uh, talk a lot of shop and talk lacrosse, but we're passionate about what we love. So yeah, thanks again.